and let somebody else out there know that the Lord loves them and let them receive some hope and some encouragement. And I want you guys to say this with me. Jesus has something good for me today. Yes, he does. So we're finishing up the series on virtue. And uh, the idea of the, the, the basic premise behind the, the message has been because a lot of uh, is most believers, we, we can never get what we feel that God has actually promised us. A lot of times, anybody here with me? I, I know we wouldn't admit that, but a lot of times we know we have a promise on our life or we know that there are certain things that God has for us and we just can't seem to get there. And really what it is, is, is a lot of times the atmosphere or the sort of the, the aroma that's around our life, the, 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 the ecosystem that's around our life is not conducive to producing the kingdom, right? It's kind of like an apple tree can't grow in Florida and an orange tree can't grow in Wisconsin. The atmosphere or the environment is not conducive to produce that seed. So the kingdom is a seed. The promise is a seed. And we have to create an ecosystem in our lives that enables it to come forth. And for, in Second Peter, uh, Peter tells the church, he says, you add to your faith virtue. He's talking about promises. He says, God has given us great and precious promises by which we draw from the, from the divine nature. Therefore, add to your faith virtue. In other words, faith in the promises isn't enough. Promises require an activation, but there's also an atmosphere and an environment that you have to create over your life or with your life, and that relates to virtue. Say, so can you give me an example? Yeah, I'll give you an easy, well, we're going to talk about wisdom today, so you're clearly going to understand. You're not going to manifest the kingdom if you don't live wisely. Anybody? Anybody here at all, right? If you keep making stupid choices and you don't operate with wisdom, you're not going to be able to bring forth the things that God has for you. Another one of the virtues is courage. Right? You're not going to be able to bring forth the things that God has for you if you never learn to live a life that has courage attached to it. Or honor. That's another one. Honor is access. You're not going to access anything without honor. You just won't. You can't bring it forth. It doesn't come, the kingdom does not come forth on our terms. So we have an inheritances, we have promises, we have callings, we have destiny. We have all these wonderful things that God has placed over our lives Inheritances is activated. That's why when we are praying for the, for the people for healing this morning is we're activating the inheritance. There's nothing more that's required with inheritance except activation. There's some other principles related there, but the, the, the bottom line is, is that we activate the inheritance. Promises, destinies, and callings, you have to partner with those things, and you have to walk those things out. You have to meet the conditions of the promises, and then you also have to create an atmosphere over your life. So anybody, anybody here feel like they have a call of God on their life? I don't care. It could be in business. It's not everything. That, people think that the call of God on their life is always ministry-related. Well, it's always ministry-related, but it's not necessarily you know, like church-related ministry, right? There's, there are people that are called into the, business, into the marketplace and that they are ministers within the marketplace. There's people that have a call on their life to bring compassion or to bring hope or to, I, I don't know, inspiration. There's all kinds of different callings that we put on our life. But we can't bring forth that calling if we don't walk in courage. That's another thing. If you're not courageous, like guys like, oh, I'm going to speak to nations. I've had people tell me that before. We had one guy that just did all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and, and he's like, oh, God's going to use me to speak to nations. I'm like, not with the current lifestyle you're living, <laughs> you know? And he never would act in courage based upon the call that God put on his life, right? I feel like I have a healing anointing. Would you lay hands on the sick? Oh, no, I'm too afraid, you know? Do you learn or do you grow? Do you, want, do you develop? Oh, no, I'm too afraid. I feel like I'm called into the marketplace to create influence into the marketplace. Where have you developed the honor to the Lord, presenting that to the Lord, the courage to attach to that and step into that courage in order to bring that to pass? That's what virtue is. 
Virtue relates to the ecosystem that's in our lives, sort of the lifestyle that we're living, not just kingdom lifestyle, but honor, wisdom, uh, self-control. We talk about that, discipline, the ability to control ourselves when we don't want to. So virtue is inseparable. It's a current. The Bible, the ancients looked at it this way. The Bible uses it very clearly, and it, it, it likens it to a river, that virtue is like a river. Rivers what waters our ground. Rivers what, again, we're looking at crops here. So what, river comes and enables the, the seeds to actually grow. Virtue is a current. It's just something you operate in your life. You live a life of honor. It's what you do. You live a life of courage. It's just what you do. You live a life of wisdom. It's just what you do. That's the, that's the ecosystem that you create in your life. A lot of us create really toxic ecosystems, and we wonder why we can't produce anything, right? Because the ecosystem of our life is toxic. We live lives based in fear. We live lives based upon only based towards ourselves. We don't honor anything. We don't open ourselves up or honor or give in any way. That's toxic, right? We live lives of where we're not living according to wisdom. We live according to foolishness, selfish impulses. That's a toxic environment. And your life produces according to the ecosystem that you've created. So this is why virtue is important. And so we're going to talk about wisdom today. And so what is wisdom? That's the first question, right? What's wisdom? <laughs> wisdom is soundness of judgment and decision making. That's what wisdom is. Knowing what to do, when to do it, and the right time to do it, Right? Sometimes wisdom, and I felt like as I was meditating on this, the Lord's like, yes, Kevin, in a perfect world, wisdom is the right decision in the right moment in the perfect time. That would be the standard Christian answer. Woo! And we'd all talk about perfection. But sometimes wisdom is making the worst of two bad decisions. Uh-huh. Yeah. In other words, just because you had to make a decision between two bad decisions, it doesn't mean that you didn't make a wise decision. You know what I mean? You, had to, you didn't have any other options. You had two bad choices in front of you, and you had to make a decision based upon... You don't win either way. You're just trying to make the wise choice based on bad, on bad, bad options. You know, we like to shine it and make it really clean and, and make everything really polished. And I have a young son, and he's a young man, and he really pushes me on the whole... Yeah, he pushes me in a lot of ways, but he really pushes me on all of the idealisms within Christianity, you know, and how we always like to front with our idealisms... Idealism isn't necessarily reality. Sometimes you don't have the option of making the right choice at the right time in the right moment. Sometimes it's a terrible moment and you still got to make a decision. Is anybody with me? Yeah. Right? Exactly. That doesn't mean you don't act in wisdom. Sometimes you got to make a decision based upon two bad options. Neither one of these things are going to work out, but I still have to make a decision. Right? That you still, that's still an, an aspect of wisdom. So it's not all of this perfectionism. Idealism, we got to get, we got to, the gospel weight. Listen, the kingdom relates more to reality than it does to idealism. We're called to an ideal, but that ideal oftentimes is unattainable. The ideal is perfection. Isn't that the ideal? What's the reality? You're not perfect, right? The ideal is that you never make a mistake. That's the ideal. But the reality is, is we're going to make lots of mistakes. And God compensates to that because he works all things out to the good of those that love him and called according to his purpose. So the kingdom works through reality. Not always, it's not always about idealism. One of the best ways we reflect the kingdom to the world is that we're broken people and the kingdom's moving through us, right? We go, we go through what they go under by. So what's bringing them under is bringing us through. 
There's a momentum behind our lives that even when we go down like a roller coaster, that's what I always love it. It's like the joy ride. I hate, the, I hate it, but I love it, right? So the momentum is like, as a believer, you're like, oh, you know? The momentum of our downward track as Christians always carries us up and over. That's the glory that's on our lives. That's why we don't operate according to the world system. We don't even think like them. Oh my gosh, the economy. The economy. I'm like, heaven's never been broke. Heaven's never been broke. What kingdom are you bound to? God will bless you in the midst of a broken economy. Tons of stories. Oh, come on. Tons of stories like that throughout the scripture. Tons of stories. And in fact, that's really where Jesus gets more glory because the world's falling apart and his people are being blessed. Right? These people are rising in a down economy and they're like, what's up with you, Jesus? You know? Light shines in the darkness. So we're bl- we have that opportunity. It just depends on what your mindset is. You got to know who you are, what you are. So Hebrew, anybody speak Hebrew here? Right? I got to get my... <sighs> the Hebrew word for... This is a word. The Hebrew word for wisdom is... So, chokmah, and it means insightful skill. Now listen to the Greek. The Greek is so much more pleasant. It's Sophia. <laughs> Do you have any chokmah? No, I have. <laughs> is that, what, you need a lozenge or something there, man? What do you need? You know, no, I, you know, it's Sophia. And it means the same thing, but they're just coming from this. So it's insightful wisdom. Sophia means soundness of learning. The word sophistication comes from the word Sophia, right? You want to be sophisticated? Live with wisdom. Live with wisdom, Sophia, sophisticated. So the word, it means soundness of decision, soundness of learning, and soundness of action. Why do we need wisdom? Ready? Say it with me. Choices have consequences. That's right. We can go home with that today, and we've learned a lot, right? Choices have consequences. Wise choices bring good results. Foolish choices bring negative results. Can I get a witness? Right? How many times have we found ourselves in situations going, why did I do that? What was I thinking? You know, most of the time, the the problems that are created in our lives are because we do something dumb. We do something foolish. When we make wise choices, it produces something good. When we make foolish choices, it always has negative results. So here's Galatians 6, 7. It says this, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. So the, the, the word for that is to turn up the nose. Don't be deceived. You can't turn up the nose to the Lord. Whatever you sow, that you will reap. In other words, the Lord says this, and you go, well, we'll just see about that. Right? That's what happens. God says, this is the way. This is is where life is. And you go, well, I don't think so. We'll see about that. You can't turn up the nose to the Lord. The Bible says, whatever you sow... That's what you will reap. So when we plant, it, says, it goes further. The Bible talks a lot about sowing and reaping. It says if we sow to the flesh, which is the selfish self-nature, selfish desire, we reap corruption. But if we sow to the things of the Spirit, we reap the benefits of eternal life. It's not just eternal life in a sweet by and by. It's the things that are associated with eternal life. That's what comes into our lives is the things that are that. When we do the things that are spiritually connected to the Lord. And the things that are of his heart. Where does wisdom come from? This is a great question, right? It's a lot of questions here. Actually, wisdom is based on questions. Uh, so if you want to just, if you want to read a book, this uh, probably the, an easy book, uh, Proverbs would be a great book. You can read it in a month. There's 31 Proverbs, 31 chapters of Proverbs, and you can read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And it's the book of wisdom, right? It's a book of wisdom. So you can get just, I would encourage you to do that. 
and just put it in you and start listening to it or reading it. You, you, we really don't have any excuse. We have audio Bibles. We have all kinds of Bibles. So if you read from uh, Proverbs, one of the things that Proverbs does in ancient uh, wisdom, ancient literature, this is actually the book of Proverbs is considered poetry because uh, so is Psalms. And it's not poetry is that we, we enjoy it to be. Uh, so in America or Western society, poetry is all in the rhyme, right? We like the rhyme, you know, I don't even know. His fleece was white as snow, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that guy. Pray for me. Anyway, in, uh, in ancient culture, they celebrated in this particular Middle Eastern culture, they celebrate. Okay, so anybody ever heard of a haiku? You know what a haiku is? Yeah. Right. A haiku is a Japanese form of poetry. And it's basically 17 syllables. Am I right? Something like that. Five, seven, five, right? Five, seven, five. So they, they, you, do a poet, you do a poem out of seven. That, that's how they view it as an art form. It's called a haiku. That's one of their forms of poetry. In the ancient Middle East, uh, what they do is they, they value saying the same thing in a different way. So when you're reading Proverbs, you're like, wait a minute, this is, the, this is supposed to be a poetic book. It, there's no rhyming here. No, but the, you, when, especially when you read Proverbs, it'll talk about the same thing in a different way. And the Bible will talk about, in particular, Proverbs, it talks about the fool, it contrasts. It contrasts the fool and the wise. And so it'll talk about the fool in all these different ways. It'll talk about the wise in all these different ways. It uh, also talks about three different types of people, which is a really cool thing when you really consider it. The Bible talks about three different types of people. There are the righteous. That would be those who have given their life to Christ. You've been made right with God. Okay? The second group of people, which is probably the masses of people, is the godless. Those are those who aren't necessarily evil by nature, but they're just, they don't worship or serve the Lord, right? They're lost, but the Bible would call them godless. That's our neighbors, right? They're not bad people. They're not running around blowing up buildings and doing all kinds of crazy stuff or hurting people necessarily, but they just don't know the Lord, right? So you have the righteous, you have the godless, and then you have this wonderful category called the wicked. The wicked are the sociopaths of society. <laughs> they're the people that can hurt you and not have any thought towards you. They're the people that have nothing but self-interest towards themselves. They think of nothing, but you, they look at you only for what you can do for them. And they are just totally numb and oblivious to anything past themselves. And that's the wicked. They, they, they do harm to people and they have no consciousness about it. They willingly violate their conscience they willingly violate what they know or what's known to be right and wrong. Those are the wicked. So the, you're, you get, when you're reading this, just to kind of give you a frame as you're reading Proverbs, understand what's going on there. That there's a con It's all about contrast. It's all about, it, it's, it's a book of instruction. That's one of the things that it is. And here's, so a lot of these verses are going to come from Proverbs because Proverbs is considered the book of wisdom. If you have a teenager, I highly encourage them to do a little Bible study, and, or at least a, at least a read-through of Proverbs. <laughs> Teenage, we all need wisdom, but man, our teenagers, they need wisdom. Yeah. You need wisdom. Proverbs 8.32, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. Wisdom is speaking of itself. Wisdom is, the Bible personifies wisdom, which is a really cool thing. I have been established from everlasting. So let's just talk about the personification. Ladies, you're going to like this, right? This is how the Lord sees you. This is the, say it with me. This is the capacity my father has created me with. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a feminine form, right? He's like, yeah, but guess what? So is the fool is personified in the feminine, right? 
which basically tells the woman, your capacity for incredible wisdom exists, but so does your capacity for incredible foolishness. And that's why it, Proverbs actually closes with the story of the virtuous what? Exactly. Exactly. And so while men have wisdom and all this other stuff, you know, we have wisdom, all that, you know, we're, it's not that it doesn't relate, but there's a personification of wisdom in the scripture as feminine, and there's the personification of wisdom as foolishness. So ladies, the choice is yours. Uh, foolish woman builds her house and tears it down with two. Or a wise woman builds her own house, but the foolish woman tears it down with both hands. That's what it says. It'll say something like that. You know, so a wise woman builds her house, yay, but the fool tears it down with both her hands. You know, foolish woman's ripping it down. <laughs> so there's a lot of capacity there for you. And I encourage you guys to, to all of you to, to read Proverbs. It's a great book. Um, so God, create, God creates wisdom. He put, Lord, so here's what's happening. God is about, this is where Proverbs is speaking from. So when wisdom is speaking, God's about to create his world, right? He creates eternity. So the Lord is actually beyond eternity. God creates a realm for himself, and he calls it eternity. He's actually outside of eternity. He's eternal. Is there a place outside of eternity? Well, apparently there is, because he created eternity. <laughs> so he creates eternity. Then from eternity, he creates another realm, and that's the realm that we live in. It's time and space. And so the Lord is about to create these realms, and he's looking, and he's, he's considering, and he's doing the counsel within himself. Upon what basis am I going to create these realms? And he chooses wisdom. And so what, one of the things, so like time and space, there are elements within this created world that God has woven into this. Time and space is, a, even uh, physicists call it the fabric of time. Anybody ever heard of that? No one? <laughs> the Bible uses it as a garment. It speaks, of, it speaks of time being a garment, literally a fabric. And into that fabric are threads that are woven. The woven, one of the woven threads that are within time and space. In other words, what is woven into time is what time responds to. Time is created with these elements. And when these elements op are active, then time and space begins to respond. Love is woven into the creation. Generosity is woven into the creation. All of these things are woven into the fabric of time. And when those things are operated with, Time responds. Honor to the Lord. The, the glory of Jesus. The Bible talks about that. The rocks will cry out. The name of the Lord is woven into time and space. That's why we say in the name of Jesus. Why time and space responds to the name of Jesus. Right? He's woven himself into the very fabric of time itself. Another thing that's woven into the fabric of time is wisdom. Time and space responds to wisdom. When you act wisely, certain things begin to happen. It's the whole idea of reaping and sowing, consequences. That's what happens. And why does that happen? Why can I, why do I, if I act wisely, why, or if I act foolishly, why do I not get a positive response? Because the universe, or the, the universe, time and space, I don't want to use that, that's been totally abused. But anyway, time and space is woven with these things. What sin has done is it's torn the garment. You understand? So the fabric of time has been torn by sin. And so now where the, there's, there's disruptions, where there should be love, there's hate, where there should be wisdom, there's foolishness, where there should be generosity, there's greed, where there should be kindness, there's all of the, there's just pain. Time has been ripped by sin. And that's what one of the things that the Christian is supposed to do is we are the reconcilers. 
right? We have a ministry of reconciliation. We reconcile people to Jesus, but we're also weaving back the fabrics back into the time, in time. So big concept, big concept. <laughs> Wasn't planning on going there, but I pretty much jumped off the cliff, so I figured I better finish the thought. <laughs> Welcome to my world. The Lord possessed me at the beginning. So the Lord drew wisdom out in order to create time and space. It's one of the elements of God's creation. So wisdom is a very, very important. The time and space is an integrated system by which God created the world. He threaded this world with certain things. Sin has torn it. Sin has disrupted it. Sin has damaged it. That's why things are the way that they are. That's why you can see goodness in the midst of evil and you can see evil in the midst of goodness because sin has stained it. Sin has thrown ink on it and blackened it. And Jesus is going to wash the creation fully clean when he comes. Amen. Amen. You've been washed clean. The fabric of your spirit is washed clean. Right? Those tears, you've still got stuff in your emotions, but the fabric of your, your spirit is right before the Lord. You've been washed. The Bible says when he comes, he's going to redeem the creation. The creation is still fallen. So when the Lord comes, that's when the, it's the Greek word palingenesia, renewal of all things. When the Lord comes, he will renew everything. That's really when he's going to manifest. A new, it's a regenesis of the earth. He's going to make everything new. You say, what's it going to be look, look like? I have no idea. I've never known anything like that. <laughs> I've known nothing but imperfection my whole life. I don't know what, imp- I don't know what perfection looks like. I've known nothing but uh, pain and suffering in the midst of goodness. I've known nothing but that. I don't know what, to, what, the totality, what the totality of goodness looks like. I don't know. But it's going to be good. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Amen? So God uses this integrated system of wisdom. It's all of these different things are in time and space. That's why when you operate, it's not just a principle-based system, Christian. It's a spiritually-based system. Wisdom is spiritual. Generosity is spiritual. Love, in the context of the scripture, is spiritual. All of those things are spiritual. That's why God tells us to work and live by those things because that's what produces life in our world. It produces life in our lives and it changes the environment and the atmospheres around us. The Bible says this. Where does, so the, uh, some translations will say the fear of the Lord. A more accurate translation is awestruck. So the awestruckness and the honor of the Lord with awe is the beginning of wisdom. So where does wisdom begin? When you are just like, wow, wow, and you begin to honor the one who makes you wow, that all things begin to open up to you, become wisdom begins to open up to you. It's the beginning of all wisdom is, wow, I worship you. Wow, I worship you. Wisdom has just now become your best friend. The Bible says it's the beginning of wisdom. That's why the fool says in their heart, no God, Right? Bible says the fool says in their heart, it should be translated either way, fool says in their heart, no to God, and the fool says in their heart, there is no God. So even Christians can be fools, because the Lord will put things on their heart or call them to things, and they say no to God. You know? Can I get a witness? Anybody here? <laughs> no God. I won't do that, Jonah. No God. I'm not going. Right? The fool says in their heart, no. I got a better plan. You're foolish. And then there's the fool that says in their heart, there is no God. This is why Christians can't be discipled by their evening news. We have to be discipled by the kingdom and the gospel because we have a bunch of godless people, fools, the Bible says, they don't believe in God, they have no God, so you're literally being instructed by fools every night. It's true. 
The American church is discipled more by the evening news than they are by the gospel. That's why we respond culturally, right? The world, like a flock of birds, the world goes over here and the church goes right with them, right with them. And those that are kind of different than that, they're like, what in the world? Because we're discipled by the evening news. Godless people speaking godless things. You mean, is there no wisdom? There's come. My son and I were just having this conversation in the car. He was talking about wisdom of all things. And, uh, <laughs> and I was telling him, I'm like, listen, God is so gracious in his kindness that he releases something called common wisdom. We would liken it to common sense. Can, can we agree with that? Right? So even godless people can have common sense. Even people that don't know the Lord, they can possess some form of wisdom. They do. Common sense is uncommon, someone would say. It's true. And so somebody can look at the, and it seems wise because everybody else is acting like an idiot, and somebody actually has common sense, and they go, oh, look at that. Because God is gracious, he allows even people who don't know him to have access to a layer of his wisdom, a layer of it. A common wisdom, a commonness of wisdom. So yes, there is a commonness of wisdom that an unbeliever can have, right? They can have a commonness of wisdom, but to the Christian, you have access to so much, much higher realms. You have access to the higher realms, man. You have access to revelation and insight, deep counsel, all of these things. We were talking about this uh, last week, all these conversations. Um, we are talking about, like, in my father's house, there are many mansions. The Bible says literally what it's saying is that in my father's house, there are many realms Church gets real uncomfortable with that. Because <gasps> it sounds way too spiritual, way too mystical. So we get really safe. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Jesus is preparing a place for you in your mansion when you get to heaven. Okay, that's true on one level. But that's not really what it says. In my Father's house are many realms, are many dimensions, are many arenas by which you can operate from. I go there now to open the way for you, to prepare the way for you, to grant you access to what? My father's, the realms that are within my father's house. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's a different context entirely. That puts it in the right here and now. That doesn't put, it put, put it in the sweet by and by. And we're talking, well, in my father's house, Jesus is making me a mansion. I'm sending him wood, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, okay, th th again, I don't want to, like, I mean, it's, it's true, but that's true on one level. That's not really the depth of what he's saying. You can move. You ever meet people like, I don't know, you get around some of these people. This is why Christians have to mature, and we have to grow up, and we have to stop. We have to actually take this stuff and bring it into the natural. Stop acting like kookaburras, you know, and floating everywhere. And I'm okay with the eclectic, and I'm okay with all that. But if we're going to take the kingdom and bring it into the world, we can't act like a bunch of nut jobs. we got to be able to move in the realm in a natural way. we got to be able to operate in the prophetic with a clarity that comes from his world and be able to speak that without striking a pose. Thus saith the Lord! That's what we do. And everybody's like, thus saith the Lord, you know? We've got to be able to operate and move in the realms of healing and begin to move from that atmosphere and say, what's going on here, Lord? What are you saying here, Lord? He has keys and kingdoms and access points to greater realms than you know. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then take the red pill, Neo. Go down the rabbit hole. Stop playing it safe, right? Say this with me. I'm ahead of myself, but just say this with me just to put everybody like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? <gasps> 
Say this. The Holy Spirit will never violate his word, but he will violate my understanding every time. That's right. He is able to do above and beyond what you can what? Ask or think. He's already telling you, I'm going to violate your understanding. I'm going to take this outside of what you perceive to be true, Kevin. I never violate my word, but your understanding of my word has narrowed me. So if you want me to, and most Christians live in that narrow dimension of the Holy Spirit, if at all. Because the Holy Spirit will work with your understanding. But when you invite him to take you to places, again, let me emphasize, within the context of the word, he will take you to places within the context of the word that you never saw before. He will take you to places within the context of the word that, you, that were limiting to you. You thought it was like this. Who told you that? It's not like that. It's like this. Come and I'll show you a more excellent way. There's all kinds of things. God will never, by the Holy Spirit, will never take you past the word of God. He'll put it in the framework. Do you want me to tell you a story? Yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so, and by no means am I promoting this in any way. Uh, I'm simply saying from my own encounter and my own experience. I started doing inner healing with people, namely with myself, because I could realize that there were places in my soul and in my spirit I couldn't get to. I could feel the invitation, but I'd feel like I felt like I couldn't get there. And so I had to see what condition my condition was in, you see. So I had to understand that there was issues with me. There were blockages. There were lies that I believed. No, no Christian would ever admit they believe lies, but oh, yes, you do. Because your life would be different if you didn't believe the lie. I don't believe the lie. No, you believe the lie here. You don't believe the lie here. It's an inception. That's the point. That's why you can't get past it. It's because it's incepted. So nonetheless, I was doing inner healing with my, and I started doing on this journey of inner healing. And I, could, I was experiencing the reality of what I was doing, but I didn't have a grid for it. I didn't have a framework for it. And I'm like, Lord, if this is you, you have to give me a v. I didn't even get verse out. And he gave me Psalm. He restores my soul. He said, Kevin, this is the restoration of the soul. So what you're experiencing is nothing is spiritual, but it's the restoration of the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's not the restoration of your spirit. You're born again. It's the, he restores my soul, the, restore, the restoration of the soul. And then he began to take me further, and he began to give me more revelation. And he says to me, Does the blood, did the, when I shed my blood on the garden, what was I doing? Read it. What was I doing? What, what's the context of the blood being shed? My what? My soul is poured out to de unto death. It has nothing to do with spiritual. Jesus is shedding blood for the redemption of the soul. And, whoa, soul is the mind, will, and emotion. The garden, everywhere blood was shed, there redemption is. You understand? Or the power of our healing exists. This is an inheritance. So you can be restored in your soul. All the brokenness, the pain, the, tra the, the, the tragedies, the, the, things that you've, the stupid things that people have done to you, and the stupid things that you've done to yourself that you carry from and you can't get rid of. No matter how much you confess it, no matter how much you renounce it, no matter how much you do it, it just doesn't go, right? Because it's in you and you have to heal it. There are certain things that are, that's another story. I don't want to get off on all this. But the point being is that the Lord began to show me. Again, never leaving the realm of his word, but without a doubt, leaving the realm of my understanding. <laughs> I never understood the restoration of the soul the way he was putting it. I never understood the blood of Jesus the way he was putting it. I never understood it. He said, did the blood in the garden have anything to do with your sin? I'm like, no. Then why did I shed blood? 
And what I know of the Lord is he doesn't do anything in vain. He wastes nothing. Do you think if he didn't have to shed his blood there, he wouldn't? Just, oh, let me just throw some blood down here. Let me throw some blood down here. Blood came from his brow in the travail of the soul. Right? The whipping on the back. By his stripes we are, that's right, the healing of the body. So he atoned for the restoration of the soul. He atoned for the restoration of the body. And on the cross is where he shed the blood. Right? That's right. That's where the darkness didn't come over him in the garden. The darkness didn't come over him on the post. The darkness came over him on there because he was atoned. The blood there was the atonement of sin, which is the greater darkness. Do you understand? And so through this understanding of God showing me, Kevin, I am with completely within the context of my word, but I am off the map with your understanding. Say this. The Lord, the Lord. is more beautiful than I think. The Lord is bigger than I think. He is, this isn't grammar, grammatically correct. Please don't correct me, but nonetheless, I'll, you know, disclaimer. The Lord is more good than I think. Therefore, I must change the way that I think. That's right. He is more powerful than you think. He is better than you think. He is more gracious, loving, and kind than you think. Therefore, you must change the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Honored. So the Lord creates these things. So wisdom is the principal thing. One of the things God calls us to, you know, we all like, we all want certain things. Yeah. We want success. We want money. We want this. We want that. The Bible says you don't need any of that. You need wisdom. You need wisdom. Wisdom builds the house. Understanding fills it. You want to know how to build what God has called you to build? You want to learn how to build what God has put in your heart? By wisdom, the house is built. And then it says, and you can build it with wisdom, but unless the Lord builds it with you, you're working in vain. <laughs> so there's the components. We want to build it according to wisdom. We want to build it in partnership with the Lord. And then we have a lasting foundation. But the Bible tells us to get wisdom more than anything else. It says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. More than anything else in this world, we're called to get wisdom. It's crazy. And in everything that you get, get understanding. Proverbs 16 says, how much better is wisdom than gold. What? Wisdom's better than the Benjamins? Yes, it is. Wisdom's better than the Jacksons and the Benjamins. Yes, it is. <laughs> Therefore, get wisdom. And in everything you get, get understanding. Pursue it more than anything else. Proverbs 8, 8, 17. Here again, wisdom is personified. So wisdom speaks as if it's a person. It says, I love those who love me. So wisdom, honor creates access, right? I honor, we can put it another way, I honor those who honor me. That's what wisdom's saying. Those who seek me will find me. Riches in honor, ready, are mine to give. Ha ha. Riches in honor are mine to give. So is wealth and lasting success. What I give is better than the finest gold, better than the purest silver, I do what is right before the Lord. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is doing what is right before the Lord. Right? So when wisdom's speaking, what does wisdom do? Wisdom does what is right before the Lord. <laughs> That's principle one. And I follow the path of justice in his name. So what does wisdom do? Wisdom says, I, wisdom, do what is right or counsel to you to do what is right before the Lord. I, wisdom, act justly in his name. That's what wisdom does. I give wealth to those who find me, and I fill their houses with treasure. <laughs> Some of you praying, Lord Jesus! 
I got no furniture, Lord. He says he fills your house with treasure through wisdom. Lord, give me the wisdom. Lord, grant me the wisdom. Show me the way. Show me the way. What is it that you want? Where is it you want to go? How do I get there? Give me the wisdom. Next question. Where do we get it? Great question. Wonderful question. Where do we get wisdom? Anybody want to know? Nobody? Okay. That's right. We'll go back. No? You guys are quiet. You're like, no, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Number one, ask. Yes. Proverbs says, only the Lord gives wisdom. Only the Lord. So even the common sense or the common level of wisdom that exists in the world is only there because God put it there. But God will give access to higher realms. He will give you knowledge and understanding. So the first place we get wisdom from is we have to ask for it. If you don't want it, it's not coming. You have to want wisdom. I honor or love those who love me. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He actually honors you for asking him for wisdom. And it should, that to, should it be given. And it means to incline the heart. Lean in. Do you want wisdom? Here, let me just give you like radically where the way Christians are. They want to know what God wants. And they're like, do you have a word for me? Do you have wisdom for me? Do you have a direction for me? Is there something here? You know, even if they, they talk in the prophetic terms or when somebody's ministering to them. And a lot of times they ask that, that very same thing, question of the Lord. And one time I was ministering to this person. I felt like the Lord said, ask them this question. And I use it all the time now. <laughs> he said, ask them, do they want to know my will so that they can do it? Or do they want to know my will so that they can decide whether or not it's a good idea? Yeah. A lot of believers, they want to know the will of the Lord, but they want to know it only to the point where they can decide whether or not they agree with it. Well, I don't know. Not too sure about that. I think there's another idea here. I think there's a better idea. You know, it's the turning up of the nose. Well, I know, Lord, that's what you want, but, you know. <laughs> Second place you get it is through meditating on God's word, right? Deuteronomy 4.6, it says, Keep my words, for they are your wisdom. My words are your wisdom. So this is the second place. We ask, we meditate within the word of God and in understanding and in the sight of all peoples, they will hear the statues. They will see the wise choices or the things about your life and they will say, surely you are a wise and understanding people. Joshua 1, keep the book of the law. So the word Torah in Hebrew is where we translate it law, but an accurate translation is the way. So keep the way of the Lord. That's what Torah means, the way of the Lord. When Jesus comes in, he says, I am the way. And you wonder why they got offended. I am the Torah. <laughs> I am the truth. I am the life. And they got mad, right? Jesus is the way. Keep the book of the law. Keep the, the way of the Lord according to his word. And it shall not depart from your mouth. See, here again, if you're a Christian, one of the things that happens is, is that God expects us to open our mouths. This is interesting. You know, I, the westernized church, I think it came out of the Reformation where everything just got silent. And we all just, you know, like, and, and I get it. We, we, we listen. It's a, it's a didactic teaching. Like we're, we're, we're instructed. That's biblical, too. And so we listen. But one of the things that we have to do is we have to learn to open our mouth. We open our mouth with worship. We open our mouth with praise. We open our mouth with declaration. And what God's saying, Joshua, here, don't get the, let the word be in your mouth, Joshua. Let the word be what you say. Let the word be what you speak. Let the word be what you decree. 
And you not only will speak the word, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You will meditate in it. Meditate is just, it's, it's like just mulling it and going over and over, going over it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only, God so loved. Mulling that, man, God so loved. God gave his son for what? For me? For all this mess? You know, it's mulling it over. Mulling over the word of God. Um, I'll just do another one. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.18. The Lord your God has given you the power to obtain wealth that you may establish his covenant within the land. Meditate on that. The Lord my God, my God, my Father, my good Father, meditation, has given me the power, the ability, the innate ability, the supernatural ability to attain wealth so that I can establish his covenant in the land. God has given me an ability to attain wealth for a purpose that is related to his kingdom. Lord, what is that power that you have given me? You see, you meditate, and the meditation begins to open the spirit, begins to open the soul. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, and as you meditate upon the word of God, things become open to you. Right? You have access to the mind of Christ. What's that look like? <laughs> we have the mind of Christ. We can think on earth as it is in heaven. We can see on earth as it is in heaven. We can see not from limitations. We can see not from deficiency, which this world is full of deficiencies. We can see from sufficiency. We cannot look at what is impossible, but we can see and understand and believe for what is impossible. Not, you know, we can't not working with impossibilities, but we begin to see and perceive from possibilities. That's the mind of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. We're no longer looking, seeing, thinking, believing in, in, in context of limitations. We're seeing something different. God has given so you say on Joshua, don't let it out of your mouth. Meditate in it day and night. And be careful to do what I told you. Do what I told you, right? Do what I told you to do. Then, everybody say then. Then, then you will prosper and have good success. Then. If I read one chapter, I read probably the book. When I got, when it came to Christ, I read the book of John repeatedly. I read the book of Galatians repeatedly. And I read the first chapter of Joshua repeatedly. Repeatedly. If you want to know what I read all the time, Joshua 1. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Arise, you therefore and these people, and cross the Jordan. Moses is dead. Your past is over. Get up on your feet. Amen. Yesterday ended last night, Joshua. Rise up. You want the way of success? I'm going to make you the first Tony Robbins. Here it is. Meditate in my word day and night. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Be careful to do. Be tentative. Be observant to what, I, what, what he wants. Understand what he wants and do what he wants. You want a simple Bible reading plan? I'll give it to you. Just real simple. Well, I, I just gave you one, but I'll give you another one. John, you know, read everything about John you can get. John, all, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. John's love. Agapeo. John is the universal gospel that's written to everybody. The word whosoever is the repeated word used in John. Whosoever, 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 whosoever. You're a whosoever. You didn't know it. Your name's in the Bible. It is. You're a whosoever. Your name's in the Bible. John is a great one because it tunes you into the heart of God. Right? Another one's Proverbs. Proverbs would be almost a, second good, a secondary book. And listen, I want you to say it with me. I need to read it or listen to it or watch it. I mean, good Lord, we've got it in every format, right? You can watch it live action. You can listen to it or you can actually read it, you know. <laughs> what was I going to say? I don't even know. 
John in the Proverbs pray, whatever, both of those, yes, I agree. Jesus, I agree. John, so, you know, read, read the Bible, meditate in it, read it, let it change you, let it transform you. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It's like the second book I almost ever tell everybody to read. Look, read John. I want to read my Bible, Pastor, where I start. Read John, then read Proverbs. Read John, then read Proverbs. Read it, this is what I was going to say. Read it. Come on. Whether I understand it or not. Put it in you. You understand? Most Christians are dismissive of the scripture because they don't understand it. The Bible says you understand it through teaching. So it's design, God has designed his word not to be fully understood almost at first reading. He's designed it to be taught. And in the instruction, you learn and you grow. It's how he did. Jesus was rabbi. He wants his people taught. Now, you don't, you know, over time, you're going to, you, you grow and you don't necessarily need to be taught the same things, you know, or that, you, I mean, we all need to be taught, but nonetheless, that's how, so if you're expecting to understand everything at first reading, you probably won't. Odds are you won't, but don't dismiss the word because the word is living and powerful. It's DNA. It's spiritual DNA. Hebrews says, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul from spirit, bone from marrow. So the word of God is living, alive, and powerful. It divides spirit from soul. One of the things the word of God does is it shows you this is of Jesus and this is of you. This is of the spirit and this is of you. This is your emotion. So it divides. And one of the things that scripture becomes DNA inside of you, it starts to change you. It starts to transform you. It starts to renew you. It starts moving in you and you, don't, you weren't even aware of it. And now the Spirit of God can use total recall for, with you. He starts recalling scripture to you. He starts guiding you. Because you put scripture in you. You don't need to understand it. You don't. You need to be instructed in it. But you still need to read it because it gives you a framework from which you can be instructed. So John, Proverbs, Acts is probably the third one. Then go back and read the rest of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then read Romans or Galatians. Romans and Galatians are parallel. Galatians is a short version of Romans. Right? Romans is the pronunciation of the glorious kingdom. Romans 8, Romans 12, Romans 9, 10, 11. I mean, it's the whole book is just a, one big massive doctrinal decree. <laughs> but uh, Galatians is a short version of, uh, of Romans, a more condensed version, similar similarities. And here's Romans. Faith comes by hearing. Say it with me. Faith comes by. Okay? And say this with me. Learning to hear comes by the word of God. Right? So we quote this verse. Now, if this verse was actually put in... Now, I'm going to show you how this works. And you're going to see that this verse is actually true, but not in the way that we define it. So we, we'll say things like this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so they'll listen to the Word of God repeatedly, which I'm all in. I don't, I don't take anything from it. But the people that listen to the Word of God... I know people that listen to the Word of God 24-7. They should be the most faith-filled people on the planet because all they're doing is listening to the Word of God. The Bible isn't saying that. It's saying this, faith comes by hearing and learning to hear by the word of God. So faith comes when we learn to hear the Holy Spirit. That's where faith comes from. When God led the people of every single time in the scripture, God led them by his presence and by his voice. That's how he led them out of Egypt, by his presence and by his voice. This is how the Holy Spirit tells us, or that's how Jesus declared, the Holy Spirit, by my presence and by my voice. Yes, the voice of the scripture. But how were they led before they actually had the scripture? 
They were led by his presence and his voice. We have a little bit more clarity on his voice because we have a more complete version of the word of God. But faith does not come by hearing the word of God alone. Learning to hear comes by the word of God. So when you put the word of God in you, the Holy Spirit will start speaking to you and you will know that that is an accurate voice or that is an accurate thing that he is saying because, he, again, he's speaking in context of his word. You want to hear God's voice? He'll speak to you, but it'll be like Polly Wally doodle all the day to you until you understand his word. When you start to understand his word, it begins, again, realms, it begins to open up for you. You'll come to Firestarters and you'll do prophetic. And you'll realize that there's, there's prophetic, but if you actually develop yourself or try to develop yourself in prophetic ministry, you're going to realize you're going to hit a ceiling because you don't have the word of God in you. Most people that want to go to other prophetic levels, they have to, you have to put the word of God in you because, say it with me, the Holy Spirit speaks scripture. That's what he does. He's not like quoting. He, sometimes he quotes chapter and verses, but when he's speaking to you, again, he's speaking in the framework of scripture. That's, where, that's how he speaks. Right. And so like even developing ourselves and hearing God more, we need more scripture. Right. We, that's how he works. That's what the way he does it. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by hear, learning to hear comes by the word of God. People say, I can't hear God. Well, you can hear God. I can teach you to hear God real quick. But again, it's going to be real. It'll be real elementary to you. When you start getting the concepts and the understanding of scripture in you, you'd be amazed at how he speaks to you. You'd be amazed Right? It's true. I had somebody saying, God hasn't spoken to me. I always tell them, go read your Bible. I said, pray and ask the Holy Spirit before you read. You say, Holy Spirit, just speak to me, whatever. And they're like, God's talking to me again. I'm reading my Bible. I'm like, isn't that amazing? Because the Holy Spirit is speaking according to the word. You're reading the word. Now the Spirit of God starts speaking to you again. This is crazy. So the Holy Spirit, so how does he speak? He speaks scripture. It's a framework and context of scripture. So here's John 16. When the Spirit of God comes, so we're talking about wisdom here, right? This is the principal thing. It's the main thing we're supposed to get. I'm almost done. Almost done. So it says, John says, when, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in the truth. So again, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Right? Jesus defines what truth is. The word of God is truth. Then Jesus is also the word of God. Right? So he is the word made flesh. And then he declares to us what truth is. Truth is the word. So Jesus is the word. And so the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to testify or speak to us on the basis of the truth, which is the word of God. He will not speak on his own authority. The Holy Spirit will take whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me. He will take from what is mine, and he'll make it known or manifest it to you. I tell you guys this all the time. That's what the Lord does. It's what the Holy Spirit does. This is one of the ways that we get wisdom. We get wisdom from the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you. He's going to, you know, uh, listen. Say it with me. Utter reliance on the Holy Spirit is not an option. You want to accelerate? You want to go to another level? Learn to be reliant upon the Spirit of God. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, I'm actually guiding you in how to do it. You begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do there? He's going to tell you, sit down and shut up. Jesus would never tell you that. He tells me that all the time, Captain. Like, what do you want me to do? Sit down and shut up. I've been offended in environments and wanted to go into like, you know, and I said, and I... Rather than acting impulsively, like Samson last week, which I wanted to act impulsively, I'd ask the Lord. I'd say, what do, you, what do you want me to do? And he'd say, sit down and shut up. I was intentionally offended in ministry environments. Some of you, you want to be in ministry. 
You feel called to be in ministry. I'm not, I'm not taking anything from that. But what I'm going to tell you, if until you can learn to be offended in ministry environments, you will never go into ministry. You will never be effective. You will never be lasting. There are a lot of people that go into it but don't understand how to take an offense. Take a punch. We're going to get MMA. You want to be in ministry? You got to learn how to take a punch. Right? You got to know how to get out of an arm bar. You know? You, you, you do. Because that's going to happen. You're going to get punched on every side. And <laughs> preach. <laughs> My wife's like, preach. <laughs> you're going to be offended. You're going to be offended by other leaders. You're going to be offended by people. You're going to be offended at times by the Lord because of your framework of expectation. The Lord has not obligated himself to fulfill your expectation. He's obligated himself to fulfill his promises. Yeah. And now if your expectation is in concert with his promise, happy day. But sometimes we have an expectation of the Lord that is not in the arena of his promise. He's delivered me many times. He's fulfilled this promise. One of the ways he's offended me is I was like, that's not the way I thought you were going to do it. <laughs> I was like, did that happen, Lord? Is this really true? Is this is really true? And he's like, yeah, Kevin, it's true. But I thought it was going to be like this. And he said, I don't, I don't obligate myself to your expectation or to your definition. I obligate myself to do for you what I promised to do. I promised you that I would deliver you. My methodology and my framework and the way that I do it if, it's, if, it's, if it lines up with what you expect, celebrate. But if it doesn't, still celebrate the victory that God gave you. He will deliver you. But don't put a restriction on him and say, it's got to be like this. If it's not like this, well, guess what? He's still going to deliver you and you're going to go, that offended me, Lord. I told everybody you were going to do it this way and then you did it like this. Yeah, but did I deliver you? God will deliver you. Always and forever, it is true. Wise counsel, this is another place we get wisdom. Where, there's a, where there is no counsel, the people fail. But in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. I'll just read you a few verses. <laughs> this is a good one. The way of the fool is right in their own eyes. But a wise person listens to counsel. Godly counsel, Christian. Or wise counsel, something that lines up with the heart of God. Listen to wise counsel and accept correction. Ooh, let's just say that. Let's just quote that together. In the name of Jesus, I will listen to wise and godly counsel, and I will accept correction if necessary. There's my point. <laughs> You're going to be offended. <laughs> you probably will be, uh, that you too may be wise. In other words, if you listen and you, do, and you accept the correction, then you're going to get wise the rest of your days. Where do we find that? Mature believers, experienced people. Some of you can glean wisdom from people who have done what you're trying to do. You can learn from not just their success. You can learn from their mistakes. So wisdom comes from God-fearing, wise people, but it also can come from people who are more experienced in the arenas that you want to be. They have wisdom there. You can glean from that. I could tell you a couple of stories. I don't have time. Another one is books. Anybody know who John Maxwell is? Anybody know who John Maxwell Yeah, I met John Maxwell. Got a picture of John Maxwell one time. Long ago when I was young. And, uh, but one of the things that I used to follow John Maxwell really big, because I was clueless. I was like, duh, duh. You know, that was me. 19 years old, clueless, 20 and clueless. And John Maxwell, and again, he, he, there's different people out there. But for, for me, at the time of life that I was in, that guy really impacted me. And I went to a conference with him. And I was, <laughs> they were so honoring to this guy. He's in a recliner with a bowl of shrimp right beside him, right? And down in the front row. 
And I just walked up to him, because like, people were meeting him. I'm like, come on, John. He's like, I know. Why'd they put me in this recliner? He's like, he wants some shrimp. He was offering me shrimp. I'm like, yeah, so he's got like a ring of shrimp. I'm like, you know, you popping those? Well, you know. But anyway, uh, he said to, he, I heard him say at the teaching, he didn't say this directly to me, but he said, listen, a lot of people want to go to breakfast with me. A lot of people want to have coffee with me. He said, you want to have coffee with me? He said, go over there and pick up that book, Maximize Leader, have a cup of coffee, and start reading it. And he goes, you can have coffee with me. You want to you you have coffee with some of these people? You want to you learn from some of these people? Pick, say it with me. Leaders are readers. I don't read, bro. Then get it on audio, bro. Right? Watch a few videos, bro. Leaders are readers. That's a fact. And so, like, just encourage you, you can glean this stuff from books and different things like that. That's another way to get wisdom, practical wisdom. Observing others and, and the world around you, real quick, go to the ant. <laughs> Bible tells us if you want wisdom, go to the ant. Isn't that crazy? Go to the ant. Like, why? why? You know, you want to be wise? Go look at the ant. Okay. All right. There's the ant. You know, I guess I'm wise now. No, observe the ant. What does the ant do? The ant works. The ant's not lazy. That's the number one thing. The ant, what did I write down here? The ant's not lazy, okay? Uh, they lead themselves. They do what is necessary. They're organized. They don't give up. You ever get ants and you try to, like, get rid of them and they come right back? They're, like, one of the most tenacious creatures in the world. Those th other than flies, but they, they just don't give up. That ant keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back. The other thing that the ant doesn't do is it's not intimidated. You ever have an ant crawl on you? Right? That ant doesn't, he just looks at you and goes, who are you? I need, to get, I need to get that piece of chocolate that's on your shirt, and that's where I'm going. And I... <laughs> Don't be lazy. Do what is necessary. Get organized about what you're called to do. Don't give up. Don't be intimidated. This is the Lord's plan for you is that we walk in wisdom. We're going to close here. Um, it's direct. Your calling and God's plan for your purposes for your life is directly related to your partnership with him and making wise choices. God's got so much for you. He has so much for you. How do you know? Because he says so. He says he does. He has so much for you, but it's related. What he wants to do with you relates to your willingness to partner with him and partner with him in the small things and begin to take, make wise choices in the little things. And wise choices today, your todays determine your tomorrows. The decisions you are making today will determine your future. Very important. So ask for wisdom, meditate on the word of God, commune with the Holy Spirit, seek wise and godly counsel, learn from others through observation. So if you're watching by live stream, I just want to share this with you. The wisest thing you could do is receive Jesus. The Bible says those that hear these words of mine and they do them, they build their lives upon the rock. And the rains will fall and the storms will blow and the waters will rise and that house will stand because it's beat on the rock. And Jesus says that those who hear my words but refuse them says, you are like someone who builds their life or their house upon the sand. The wind will blow, the rain will fall, and the water will rise, and the house will fall. What's important to know about that statement is that the wind blew on both houses. The rain fell on both houses, and the water rose against both houses, but only one stood. And the difference between the standing and the falling was related to one thing, upon what they built their lives upon. Jesus said, he is the rock. He's the everlasting rock. He's the rock of our salvation. If we build our lives upon him, our lives will stand. He never promises us we won't go through adversity, but he does promise we will endure. And he does promise we will live to fight another day or we will, we will get through the circumstances that befall us. And you can never do that unless you ask Christ in your heart. 
The Bible says that every person has a sin problem. All of us do. We have a terminal disease and it's called sin. You were born with it. And it says this, the wages of sin is death. If all have all sinned and fallen short, the penalty, the payment, the reward of a life that is lived short of God's glory is eternal separation. And God does not want that for anyone. Jesus doesn't want that for anyone. So he says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. And the way that we receive this gift, we have to open it and we have to receive it. And the Bible says that we receive it very simply. It says you must believe in your heart, not your mind. It doesn't make intellectual sense. It's past the heart. It's past the mind and into the heart. So if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is risen from the dead, you will be saved. Forgiven, saved, set free from a broken past into a hopeful and redemptive future. Your life will move off of the sand and will go on the rock. And you will give the promise of eternal life. It's a simple prayer. It's a very simple prayer. It's probably 40 seconds of your life. And if you're there and you've never prayed this prayer and you've never given your heart to Christ, you've never given your heart to Jesus, and you say, I don't know if I have. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Well, be sure. You say, I don't know if I want to. My friend, this is the offer you do not refuse. You do not refuse this offer. This is the offer of a lifetime. So just go for it. And let's pray together. Elevate's going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you at home and just take the step. Say there's people around me. But Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before the Father. you got to come out and be separate. Jesus hung openly on the cross for you. You can say a prayer publicly for him. So let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we honor you. We bless you. Amen. We have a prayer team available for all y'all here. If you need prayer for anything, please, that's what they're there for. They're ready. And let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. <laughs>